So this question comes from Therese, and um, I'll invite you to open to Luke chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 35 to 40, uh, to uh, 48 in just a moment here, because the question comes out of this. Uh, but here's the question. I'm very thankful for this ministry and the many forums to which the gospel and end times events are being streamed, as am I. And I'm also thankful to be counted among that number. Thanks for the very kind words. Um, here's my question. I heard a pastor state that in parallel to this verse, and this is going to be Luke uh, 1247, and here's the passage. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. Again, Luke 12, 47. Uh, and the, the interpretation of that or the, the explanation of that was uh, to the effect that it will be to the same measure that we as believers sought the Lord on earth that we will experience him in heaven. So those who sought the Lord daily in his word and in prayer will experience God to a greater level than those who didn't make God as great a pri- uh, as a priority in their lives. Uh, is that true? In other words, is that, a, is that interpretation accurate? Um, will some experience God to a greater level than others in heaven who sought him more here on the earth? Well, <clears throat> I think that's a good question. And it, it, I, I have a feeling this passage is probably, um, <coughs> is probably worthy of, uh, taking some time to bring some clarity to because I, uh, while, while that, the interpretation that was given, and I, I don't know the pastor that taught it. I don't, I'm not questioning his caliber of teaching or anything like that at all. Um, but I, I would say that that particular concept has been inserted into the interpretation of this passage kind of frequently. I just don't really know that the passage itself is necessarily lending itself to that. Um, in terms, in other words, let me put maybe this is a better way to put it. I don't necessarily think the scriptures teach that our knowledge of God uh, in heaven, our increasing, growing knowledge of God in heaven is necessarily curtailed by how much Bible study we did and how much praying we did on earth. In other words, if, if I was um, more committed to these things in life, it would allow me to know God better in heaven. But if I'm less committed to these things in life, then my knowledge of God in heaven is going to be affected by that. Um, I don't know that that concept is really uh, a biblical one. Now that said, let me let me take a quick moment here just to point out that there is in Scripture uh, seemingly clearly a uh, uh, the idea that there may be varying degrees of reward in heaven. In other words, the crowns that um, that uh, that we might inherit in heaven might be more or less plentiful based on. Uh, the works that we do on earth. There do seem to be passages that seem to make that case. Um, but is our knowledge of God in heaven one of those things, one of those crowns? Um, well, there are a number of crowns mentioned, which, you know, I, I have no problem believing are actual crowns that we will physically lay before the Lord. Although some of the ones mentioned, and I, I say sometimes there's kind of what's called the five crowns mentioned in the New Testament. And so, um, some of those may be intended to be seen as literal crowns, uh, or they might just be being spoken of as crowns, but really just speak of, of the concept of the reward that lies behind them, or maybe there's a blending of those two ideas. You know, again, I, I always try to take the passages at face value first, and so I have no problem with, with that at all, but, um, but it does seem like, um, um, uh, you know, the imperishable crown, for example, that's mentioned by Paul in 
First uh, Corinthians nine twenty four and twenty five, where he draws a comparison between those who run a race in the Greek games for an imperishable crown, and we, on the other hand, are running a race knowing that the reward that awaits us is an imperishable crown. In other words, they're fighting and struggling and training and running with all their might for something that will fade away and 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 fade out of memory at some point. But we are running for something, our race, our Christian race, which again is metaphorical in order to, um, uh, you know, when I say metaphorical, I mean, we're not like running with a baton on an actual track, but our, our Christian walk is sometimes referred to in scripture as a race. But we're running to win a crown that's imperishable and that sometimes that, that imperishable crown in that passage is seen as one of the five crowns that we'll inherit. So whether or not that's intended to be taken as a literal crown or if it's just sort of drawing that analogy from the Greek games and, and that, you know, we'll, we'll find out. But there are other crowns mentioned. I jotted a couple down here. In 2 Timothy 4.8, also in concert with Paul finishing his race, he's awaiting the crown of righteousness that the Lord will give him on that day. There's the crown of glory mentioned in 1 Peter 5.4 and second in uh, Revelation 2 verse 10. Uh, <coughs> the crown of life is mentioned. And as I kind of alluded to, the idea of laying our crowns before his feet is taken from uh, uh, Revelation 4 with the 24 elders, which uh, may in part or maybe even in total represent the church. Uh, in any case, it certainly represents people, uh, you know, these these uh, elders, these beings, these people of some kind that are laying down their crowns before the Lord who sits on the throne. Um, and and pres- we presume that we will engage in similar worshipful activity and laying our crowns down before him. So the idea of rewards is a very biblical one. Our reward in heaven that's imperishable, as Peter would say too in First Peter chapter one, that uh that rust rust does not destroy, moth moth does not decay, as Jesus described. Peter says it's imperishable, does not fade away, and it's kept in heaven for us who are kept by the power of God. So there are rewards mentioned in Scripture, no doubt. And there may even be, based on some passages, it would seem clear that there are even varying degrees of rewards. Based on, if, uh, for example, Ephesians 2.10 is sort of giving us uh, a bit of a connection on what it is that crowns are associated with, um, you know, the works that God has laid out before us that we might walk in them. Well, one day we're rewarded for those things, and we may very well be laying those rewards down at the Lord's feet in gratitude. So, um, again, the idea of rewards, not a foreign concept in Scripture. But the question here, uh, based on the passage in Luke that we'll go ahead and read now, um, is, is, is our knowledge of God and experiencing, he didn't say knowledge necessarily, but our experiencing of God richer based on what we did on earth or lesser based on what we didn't do on earth? Here's the passage, and I want to um, put it in context uh, here. So I'm going to read the passages around it. And then when we come upon verses 47 and 48, which end the passage, uh, we'll go ahead and explain. So let your uh, waist be girded, uh, starting verse 35, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning and your, uh, you yourselves be like men who wait for their master uh, when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may be open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the last uh, master when he f- comes will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you, that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known uh, uh, when the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And then Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us? 
or to all people. And, and the words only and people are added in italics. So really, Peter says, Lord, do you speak this parable to us or to all? And the Lord said, who then is that faithful and wise steward? I think steward is a key word here, whom his master will make ruler over his household uh, to give them their portion of food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and to drink and to be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour when he's not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself uh, to do or according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed these things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given from him, much will be required. And to whom much has been committed uh, uh, of him, they will ask the more. So clearly at the beginning of the passage, the first half of this particular section of this discussion that Jesus uh, shares, it um, uh, has to do with the idea of preparation, being ready for the Lord to come. Now, as an aside, um, they would not have been thinking about the Lord coming in terms of the rapture. They would have been expecting the Lord coming with the kingdom. And so the kingdom is what's in view. The master of the house, the servants are there serving. Um, you know, um, when they think of his coming, the Lord's coming, they would have naturally associated the idea of the kingdom with that. Today, we would refer to it as the millennial kingdom because we know from Revelation 20, it's a thousand year period of time. Um, but in, in that particular time in Luke, uh, they would have been thinking of the coming kingdom. It's also important to recognize too that while we might as the church uh, glean some important insights um, from these passages, it's worth pointing out that at this point, the church would not have been in view. Um, so if the church is not in view, then we are, we want to remove that thinking and that, that element of understanding of it from what Jesus is saying to his audience. Um, so when he's talking to them in language that they understand, the household of faith, or the house of Israel, the kingdom, the, uh, the coming of the master and that kind of thing, um, and then the term steward is used here. It is very likely that in the immediate context, which is always the primary, um, the primary foundation for any understanding in a passage of scripture is the immediate context in which the passage was spoken, the words were spoken. Jesus is sharing with them. And when he uses the word steward and the master coming, and he's been, remember too, by the way, He's been talking uh, in parabolic language throughout his ministry, and he has, on a number of occasions, made very clear that in his indictments of uh, those who were killing the master's servants and all those kinds of things, he's made it clear that he's talking about the Pharisees, and they know that's what he's talking about. So as he's saying these things here in the midst of his listeners, um, he's... For consistency's sake, is likely thinking of, and, and speaking in ways that would cause him to be thinking in the same kinds of terms. So first and foremost, my suggestion on this is that he's talking about the Pharisees, the scribes, the priests, um, the, those who are in charge of the spiritual and national health and, uh, of Israel. And so who's that steward who is good and uh, faithful and wise, but the one 
whom ultimately gives the food in due season, all that kind of thing. Well, this faithful servant, the the, the master, when he comes home, will make him uh, lord over everything, or the ruler over everything, I should say, put him in charge of all things. Now, this follows naturally when we think in terms of the kingdom, which they likely would have been thinking of. Um, when the master returns or when the Lord comes and he establishes his kingdom, those faithful servants who have been good stewards over his house will likewise then go on to serve in the kingdom and, uh, and, and will have great responsibility, be master over all things or, you know, uh, ruler over all these different things. Um, but on the other hand, he goes on to say that those servants, and by the way, as a, as a, as another quick thing here, um, um, one, one thing Jesus says here in the beginning of the passage we just read uh, is interesting language. Um, if we understand, uh, and if in particular, if you are uh, premillennial, to say the at least, in terms of your eschatology, listen again to verse 36. You yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding uh, uh, that when he comes and knocks, they might be, they might open him immediately. I think that's another hint at the idea of the kingdom. And we know this much later now than they would have at that passage, because when Jesus would speak to them, he often spoke of those invited to the wedding and going to the wedding and the wedding itself and that kind of thing. Here he's talking about coming back from the wedding. Well, if you are, again, premillennial, and Jesus uh, is here talking about the idea of the master coming after the wedding, well, the wedding, and again, I'm not, I'm not being dogmatic. I'm not laying down anything like for sure. I know this is what Jesus meant, but it is interesting that, um, when Jesus goes, uh, snatches us away prior to his return in Revelation 19, there is first the marriage supper of the lamb. And then he comes and he ultimately protects Israel, saves them from the wrath of Antichrist, uh, ultimately puts down the Antichrist and the false prophet and binds Satan for a thousand years and establishes the millennial kingdom. I think that fits in pretty nicely in this discussion here in that passage. But that, uh, so anyway, I'm just throwing that in there. But getting back to our immediate uh, question here, uh, the faithful servant will be made uh, a ruler over, over all the things in the master's house. Again, if that's the kingdom, that makes perfect sense. Those faithful servants will ultimately be given positions of authority in the kingdom. However, those who are unfaithful, those who say that the master's delaying is coming, those who uh, begin to beat the servants and, and get drunk and just kind of go on as if they have no interest in the master returning, no real sense that he's going to, they're not living in any kind of a mindset that the master could be coming to uh, to once again come back into that that which is his. And so they're acting as though they're the ones in charge and all that kind of thing. I think another nod toward the idea of the Pharisees, the scribes and the priests and all of those who are in charge and Sadducees, those in uh, given custodianship or stewardship, as the word means, over Israel. Uh, when he comes and he finds that those servants were not waiting for him, unlike the faithful servants, these unfaithful servants were just living as if they were the ones in charge. Well, ultimately, they're going to get a taste of their own medicine and key it says here that they will ultimately be cut in two and, and, and appointed their portion with the unbelievers, which I think is a very telling statement. Um, those who are ultimately referred to at that stage are those who are unfaithful and they are like unbelievers or may very well just plainly be unbelievers. 
Uh, and then verse 47 and 48, and that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do any, uh, do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. Why? Because he knew better. He understood these things, but nevertheless lived as if, as if none of them were a reality. Uh, verse 48, but he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required, and to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. Um, so there does seem to be a measure of accountability involved in the level of punishment that ultimately comes. Um, now, again, if the kingdom is first in priority in terms of our understanding of the context, uh, then these are those who will not go into the millennium, but ultimately will be awaiting final judgment and all that kind of thing. And from this passage, it may very well be that we can surmise that based, that in terms of punishment, those who knew better, but didn't do it are punished more harshly than those who didn't know better, but were, you know, uh, were unfaithful servants. There is a justice and fairness involved in that. There is a, a fair approach to that because if someone didn't know any better, they're still guilty of the crime, but they maybe didn't understand everything about it. Those who did and rejected are certainly more guilty because they knew better. But notice that's associated with punishment. As we said at the beginning, there seems to be a similar concept in terms of rewards, more rewards for those who did more, less rewards for those who did less. But in either case, the question of knowing the master never really comes into play. Um, in terms of reward, there's no getting to know the master more because you knew more. And in terms of punishment, there's no getting to know the master less necessarily. Both knew the master, the, those who were you know faithful and unfaithful, at least one part of the unfaithful servants knew the master or his expectations. So when we go to heaven, there may be rewards, crowns, if you will, um, that are directly connected with um, you know, our activities and works here on earth. But that doesn't necessarily follow that if you don't do those good works, prayer, Bible study, getting to know the Lord more on earth, that that somehow would keep you from knowing him in heaven. It's just, you may have, you may not have as many crowns as somebody else for the works you're doing. Um, I guess the question really is, is, knowing God better on the table when it comes to rewards or punishments. First off, in heaven, there is no punishment. Um, in, in your presence is fullness of joy, David would say. You are my portion, right? Well, the knowledge of God is not necessarily something that is withheld from us in heaven because of our lack of works, because then, you know, um, heaven would in some sense be really painful because there's there's some barrier I can't get past in terms of knowing God like everyone else who's there or like other people who are there. Um, the Bible just never really makes that clear. And so if that's, if, if, if that is the interpretation taken from the passage, um, there ought to be a lot of other scripture that makes that clear enough there doesn't seem to be, and I think it. I think it's a bit of a reach to to put that in there. Clearly, when it comes to punishment, there's no doubt that some very clear teaching is given on this. But is someone withheld from knowing God more because they didn't pray hard enough or often enough or didn't study their Bible often enough or hard enough? Well, 
how do you know when you have done enough? Like, what what does that mean? It's uh, even as it is here, it, it would have to do much more with an attitude and mindset. But it, it just it just seems that since the the scripture is not clear on that, it seems very very subjective. Um, how do I know that I have prayed enough to know that there won't be some barrier keeping me from knowing God better? Um, um, you know, what if I desire to study the word more, but I just didn't have a chance to more, did that count or not? You know, it just seems like there's no, um, clear sense of where that line would ever be. Uh, and so it just, you know, it seems problematic on a couple of levels to, to take that from the passage. And again, I think the context of it is probably something more specific than intended to be like, well, you won't get to know God as well in heaven if you don't. Um, maybe have, you know, enough prayer time now and that kind of thing. I'm, I'm not trying to sound simplistic or, uh, or minimize the, the overall teaching. Cause again, I've, I did not hear the whole study. Uh, just, I'm speaking to one particular point here on this. Now, I would say this, <coughs> um, our knowledge of God on earth is no doubt, uh, either increased or decreased based on our, uh, our time spent wanting to know him better. And that would be true of anybody, right? It's uh I will not know my wife as well if I don't spend time with her, right? And so Peter says, dwell with your wives with understanding. Um, if I, if I do that, I'll know her far better. If I don't do that, then I won't know her as well as I could. But in heaven, where we'll know just as we're known and we'll have glorified bodies that um, where we're without the limitations of this life and this body, um, where we have no sin nature, uh, all that kind of thing. It, it does seem though, our entire person is now brand new and different and now to be still withheld from knowing God better because of what happened back when I had a sinful body. It just doesn't seem to follow, uh, naturally. And so, um, so again, with respect to, to, to the Bible teacher you were listening to, um, who again, I, I don't know, um, with respect to him, I, uh, I would just, I would respectfully disagree. I don't think that that is really what's intended to be taken from the passage here. And, and hopefully that brings a little bit of clarity. Uh, you may agree or disagree with me on that. Um, but, um, that's where I'm coming from on that. So hopefully it helps. But, uh, thanks for asking, Teresa. I appreciate you, uh, reaching out and, um, and, uh, and emailing. And, uh, if you have a question, anyone else out there has a question or a comment or anything like that, you can also email, and uh, my email is info at calvarychapelfranklin.com. Uh, if you want, you can also uh, comment in the comment section below the videos. I, I do this. Is this the international sign for comments? Maybe. I don't know why I'm doing that. But um, but uh, you can comment below uh, our videos, and, uh, and I do my best to read all of those and try and respond to as many as I can, and I certainly appreciate all of them. And um, so feel free to do that. And thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And, uh, if you are, uh, if this can get posted by tonight, Wednesday, uh, this evening, we're going to do a prophecy update on our Wednesday night live stream. We've been going through the minor prophets. We're in Micah right now, but we're going to go ahead and take a break from Micah tonight. And we're going to do a prophecy brief focusing on the spiritual nature of the last days, um, with everything going on around us and the big push toward atheism and secularism and that kind of thing, you might think that the last days are going to be by and large technological and clinical and atheistic and, 
uh, scientific at the expense of, of the foolishness of quote unquote religion and all that kind of thing. But I would argue that the scriptures paint a very different picture of the last days. And so we're going to talk about some of these things tonight. And we'll talk a little bit about the Great Reset and some of these things as well. So if you want to join us tonight, again, that's Wednesday night. If you're watching this on Thursday, you probably will be able to watch the Wednesday night video shortly as well. But thanks for watching and listening. And Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace toward us. We thank you for your love, your mercy. We thank you for um, the rich um, love and grace that you demonstrate toward us. And that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And that there are rewards in heaven for your children as those who stand to inherit. And Father, we thank you that in your presence is fullness of joy. And we thank you that you've given us your word in this day, that we can study it and know you better thereby. And we pray that we would take advantage of that. And uh, Father, one day we'll be in your presence and all the guards will be off and and uh, we'll be there in in, in your throne room, we'll be worshiping you and adoring you and 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 uh, and getting to know you throughout all of eternity. And so we just uh, pray that Father we would uh, not wait till then to get to know you well, but rather instead to pour ourselves into that rich relational pursuit even now. Thank you Father for the invitation and we just pray you put it into our hearts uh, to to go after that and to and to not be satisfied uh until we awaken your likeness. But um thank you Lord again. And uh, we bless you and praise you for all these things and ask you to help us to continue to study your word and, and to understand it and to grow in our relationship with you, the God of the word. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.